0: You're listening to the Westminster Canterbury Tales Podcast, creating community to foster joy and well-being. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Podcast regarding financials come first. I am Elizabeth Hines, and I will be your host for this leadership series. We are truly privileged to have a special guest with us today. David Myers, our Chief Financial Officer. In this series, we will uncover the strategies, insight, and experiences that have shaped David's remarkable career and have in turn strengthened Westminster Canterbury Financial Foundations. Thank you for joining us today, David Myers. And before we dive into our discussion today, Let's start with a simple icebreaker. What is one thing on your bucket list that you are eager to check off?
1: Well, good afternoon, Elizabeth. It's my pleasure to be here. The one thing I would love to check off on my bucket list would be I'm a big baseball fan. So one day I would love to rent an RV and visit all the different baseball stadiums in the United States. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to doing when I finally retire.
0: Wow, that sounds like an adventure to travel and just go out and abroad the journey and just doing something in life that you finally be able to do.
1: Now the challenge there, of course, is talking my wife into doing it as well.
0: <laughs> Good point. Good point. David. Can you provide a brief recap of your background and career journey that led you to your current role as CFO?
1: Sure. It'd be my pleasure. So my dad was military, so I grew up traveling a lot and things like that. And one of the things that I always enjoyed doing as a young person was numbers, I like to mess with stats, you know, especially baseball, statistical information. So I knew at a very young age I wanted to do something with numbers. It just seemed to come very natural for me. So I went to Penn State, and I graduated with a BS in accounting. And from there, not going to say I was the best student, but I did graduate. But I remember having a professor tell me that because your grades, that you may not ever get a job in accounting. Believe it or not, I wish I could see that guy now. (laughs) So after I graduated from college, I worked my first couple of years as an assistant manager in a fast food restaurant. And I was like, man, maybe this guy is telling the truth. Maybe I won't break into accounting. But then I said, well, let me sit for my CPA exam. So I passed my CPA exam. It took me four tries to pass it, but I did pass it. And it seemed like once I got my CPA exam and certification behind me, it started to open a lot of doors and opportunities for me. So I went up to Richmond, worked in my first staff accounting position for a couple of years, Applied for a job back in Newport News where my parents were living at the time. My family had relocated and applied for one position and didn't get it. But a gentleman who worked for the company pulled my resume and decided to grant me an interview. So I interviewed for that position. I wind up getting the job as a general accounting manager for Riverside Health System which is actually a better job that I originally applied for, which was a staff accounting position. So, uh, man, I've been blessed throughout my career. So that was just the beginning. Uh, I stayed with Riverside Health System for about 15 years, and I found out about this opportunity at Westminster Canterbury through a friend. I didn't even apply for it, but somebody just said, hey, this would be a great opportunity for you. You should look into it. So I looked into the Westminster Canterbury Opportunity. At the time, they were looking for a controller. Based on my background, based on my experience, I would hire for the position back in 2000. So uh, I've been here since then. Uh, I spent the first 18 years at Westminster Canterbury, as the controller in the last five years as the chief financial officer.
0: Awesome. So,
1: like I said, I've just been blessed throughout my career.
0: Very impressive. Your journey just molded you and shaped you into the current role that you are operating exactly, now. Exactly,
1: exactly.
0: But what inspired you to take on a leadership role in the financial sector? Mm, that's a great question.
1: You know, I always felt like, you know, they said leadership. You're either born leader, or you could become a leadership through your travel, training, and things like that. And I just think just through my travels and my experience, it just created an opportunity where my leadership skills kind of evolved to the point where I'm here now. But I like to work with people. I like to inspire people. I like the idea of working as a team and building something special and lasting. And I think that's what really led me on my leadership journey and got me to the point where I'm here now.
0: And throughout your years of you being groomed for this position, Mm -hmm. it, like, tailored you for the position. You're made for it now. Right. Well, thank you. And Making a Difference, John C. Maxwell titled a book, The Different Maker. And the subtitle is Making Your Attitude Your Greatest Assess. In this book, he states that the attitude is a primary component in determining success. And also he explained that attitude is the difference in how we approach and deal with relationships and challenges. But I just want to interject with attitude and how people show positive and negative energy In their attitude and it kind of takes away from their aim to a success. And in John's Maxwell book, he makes some examples and he acknowledged that one who brings about change is a different maker. And another aspect is they set every goal with intentions. So David, my question to you is, what are you doing to be a different maker? in continuing to make a difference in the residents and team members that lives here?
1: You know, that's a great question. What drives me to make a difference is I think a lot has to do with my belief system. I'm a follower of Christ, and I know it's a fact that the Lord made a difference on his short time while he was here on the planet Earth, inspiring others to uh, do the right thing, and I, I try to model my life after Christ, in that I try to do the right things, in the way I treat people, in the way I talk to people. I try to aspire like Christ, inspire others. And I care for people. I care for the outcome of not only our residents, but also the outcome of our team members. So I try to approach everything as being positive, encouraging, but at the same time, when it's necessary to um, say, hey, make those tough decisions, I feel like I also have the ability and capability to do that as well.
0: Yes, you do. And I can also witness to that approach and me knowing you at Westminster Canterbury, how you project that energy and your very compassion when it comes to the residents and the team members. And you do project positivity in other leaders that you meet along the journey. And for our listening audience that are listening to you now, they can hear the path that was laid before you and your accomplishments throughout your journey. Oh, thank you. And you're definitely a different maker. Thank you. You have modeled it you have demonstrated, and you have displayed it. Oh thank you. I just want to thank you on that. Uh, as a financial leader, what steps or initiative have you taken to make a positive impact on the lives of our team members or within the organization?
1: The first thing I do, and I... I don't do this alone, we have got a strong team that I work with and a strong leadership team as well. But the important thing as a financial leader is you have to not only look at short-term, but you also have to look at long-term goals as well. So we always want to do what's best for our current residents, but at the same time, we have to look out into the future and make decisions that's going to strengthen our organization and provide stability for the long term. You know, we make a lifetime commitment to our residents, and we have to be able to live up to that commitment as well. And if we're not financially stable and strong as an organization, then we're not going to be able to honor that commitment. So, you know, I just work with the team closely and make sure we're making wise financial decisions because they're going to have a serious impact on our future stability as an organization. And at the same time, we want to invest in our employees, our team members as well. The stronger your team is, then the better your team is as well. So those are the things that I try to do as a financial leader, get into details because you got to get into the details to make those type of decisions as well.
0: I'm in agreement with that. In this series, financials come first. That is a good example regarding the residents and the long term and the commitment we as an organization have to put out for the residents and also team members that are aiming their career here as long term. Right. And so that says a whole lot. Could you give us a, a specific example of an experience that highlights the difference that you have made through your financial leadership.
1: No, I don't know if I could bring up a specific example, but I know that throughout the year, one of the biggest things that we do as a executive team and part of finances as well is, we have to make a tough decision each year on what will be our increase to our residents for the monthly fee, the annual fee increase. And a lot of thought and consideration goes into that. I mean, it's a process that we go through. And, you know, it's a lot of people that's involved, but I spearhead that process along with Ben Uncle, who's our CEO and president. And it's not always easy, some of the decisions we have to make because whatever increase we do it's gonna impact immediately our residents. But like I said, we have to make a decision that also gonna impact and ensure our long term stability as well. You know, I don't take that lightly, those type of decisions. But it's part that it comes with the position and uh it comes with the territory.
0: Yes, and stress can play in that as well. How do you manage the demand and the heavy weight that you have to carry in the company as an organization. How can you tell the listening audience, those who are in leadership, something that they can do to balance their stress levers?
1: Well, Elizabeth, I like to say that I do it well, but that's not necessarily true. I internalize a lot. And so sometimes I do find myself taking this home with me and sleeping on it and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of what I do carries not only at work, but also carries outside of work. So there's some stress and there's some burden being in my position as well. Also being probably one of the few African Americans that's in a CFO position in our industry, senior living that comes with a little added pressure as well. So, I find that so much challenging. I think over time I have become more comfortable dealing with the pressure and the stress that comes with the position itself. But learning to not take it home has been a journey. Learning how to, as you say, relax, deal with the pressure has been the journey as well. One of the things that has helped me and this came out of COVID, believe it or not, is I started playing golf. So playing golf where I'm outside, playing with some friends, relaxing, enjoying nature. I have found that to be a way to alleviate or eliminate a little bit of stress. And also with my family, I enjoy family time and my wife and I like to travel as well. So those are some of the
0: stress levers that I can pull. We're going to move forward in leadership development What lessons or experiences from your past have shaped you into a financial leader you are today?
1: Well, you know, life itself is full of lessons. I've been fortunate to have some good mentors who have helped me along this journey. Thanks to some good mentors who saw things in me that probably at the time I didn't see in myself. But they saw the potential and they helped pull it out of me. So that's been very helpful. And just having a good network of friends has helped shape me to be the financial leader that I am now. Having resources available that I could bounce things off of has helped me as well. So there's a network of CFOs that I currently talk to on a consistent basis, run things with them and run things through them. That's been very helpful as well. But a lot of it is just being serious about what you're doing and really trying to make a difference and just getting into the details and knowing your purpose.
0: Yes, and that's a key element, knowing your purpose. And you hit a good point, too, as well, in how people can see your value in you when you don't see your value. And then they will acknowledge and reference your value to someone else and open the door of opportunity that will stir you in that direction. And I heard throughout your journey there has been some doors open because sometimes in life we don't see our value or direction that we can achieve down the road. And you are definitely someone that has proven that fact.
1: I have been very blessed.
0: Yes, you have. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> but your future plans, looking ahead, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a conversation I have daily with my wife. I'm starting to get to that retirement age, to say the least, and looking forward to when I'm able to retire and able to enjoy my next phase that God may have for me in my life. Don't quite know what that is, but I know it's going to be something positive, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, I see myself at Westminster Canterbury for the next three to five years, hopefully seeing us through this expansion project that's going to really add to our stability of our organization going forward. So this is very exciting times, and I'm just glad to be a part of it right now. I think once I get through that, it'll be time to evaluate what my next steps are.
0: Yes, and working with Westminster as well, the plans and the goals they have for the future, does open doors of opportunities for team members and residents as well. And I didn't think I would be here this long. But my journey has allowed me to walk in different doors as well. In leadership best practices, could you share some of the best practices you have discovered and implemented as a financial leader?
1: Well, I think probably the most one is just being positive. You know, each day is a blessing. And I approach each day like that. You talked about attitude, and I think your attitude can determine a lot about how you're going to handle things for that particular day. So like I said, I use the word positive, try to be positive on how I handle individuals, how I handle situations, how I handle challenges. And so I think just that positivity is something that keeps me going so that's one of the best practices I have implemented as a financial leader. Also is becoming knowledgeable. When you don't know something, don't pretend that you don't know it. There's a lot of resources out there that you can tap into, whether it be the internet, fellow CFOs. So use your resources. So that's another thing that I have used to help me grow and develop as a financial leader and I would say building a strong foundation and building a strong team. I mean, you're only going to be as strong as the people who support you. And I think one of the most things I do is acknowledge success of the people you work with. It's not always just about you, but it's also about the team you lead and the people you work with. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. As well, I had a pastor who used to say that you should give your flowers while people are still alive to enjoy those flowers. And I truly do believe that. So I try to be very positive and complimentary when it calls for it and let people know that I respect them and I appreciate them.
0: Yes, and that is a very great point that you acknowledge. And I believe in positive energy as well. In different departments I had to work in and wherever I go, I like to project that energy because people feed off your positive energy and they take note that you're walking in it as well. And so it's vibrant. And so when you come across someone with positive energy, it makes you feel better about yourself and you can absorb that energy as well. So, David, in closing, what would you like to tell our listening audience? What would you like to leave us with? What I would like
1: to leave you with when financials come first is as a leader, as a person who's part of the organization, whether you be a department leader, is you got to know your numbers. So if you're asked to manage a department, you need to learn how to manage it efficiently and effectively. The only way you can really do that is by not only your craft, but also know your numbers. what drives your business, what's the relationship between the numbers and your business. So I think that's very important. And also resources. Use the resources that's available to you to grow and learn your business, where that resource may be me as a CFO or maybe your next direct report. And then also be willing to share your knowledge. Develop that next set of leaders. Don't be so intimidated that you're not willing to grow and develop your team. So I think that's very important as well. And just be open-minded to new ideals and be open-minded to change because change is going to come. (laughs) That's one thing we do know. Change is going to come. So either we're going to learn to adapt to changes or we're going to be left behind. So I think that's very important. So that would be my guiding principle would be know your craft, get into the details, and be open-minded to change and learning new ideals.
0: Thank you, David. This leadership podcast was with our chief financial officer, David Myers, and financials come first. Financials come first. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. Thank you for listening.